News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. To be Canada's first permanent cap on fees uh, charged to restaurants by food delivery companies. And it goes into effect here in BC on January the 1st. Now, we've had a temporary cap for a while now. And I do wonder if that had changed people's habits when it came to ordering food online. Uh, but this permanent cap now, is that good news for restaurants or not? Well, joining us now to talk more about that is Ian Tossenson, president of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Simi, and uh, Happy New Year coming up to you. Happy New Year coming up to you, too. I guess this is a great time of year for restaurants. It's been really busy. Uh, It's been, you know, last time, uh, this time last year, we were masks mandate, or vaccination mandates. Um, There was some uncertainty with New Year's. That's all gone. So we've had a strong, strong uh, season and Christmas. Um, Interesting, one of the trends that happened was, uh, was opposed to big, large, sit-down dinners, we, we had a, a large number of people just wanting to have receptions. So they could have stand-up reception hors d'oeuvres, and they could cruise around and, and, and talk to their friends and people and stuff. So we're pleased where it's at. We've got a long way to go to get ourselves out of the hole of the pandemic still, but um, so far, so good. Yeah, you know, back, I know, during the pandemic, we talked a lot about people turning to delivery to help support yeah. restaurants. And then the problem became those delivery fees. Were they really digging into the slight amount of money that restaurants were making? Yeah, context was when, you know, before the pandemic, there was delivery. There weren't a lot of restaurants really online doing it, and uh, restaurants being charged anywhere from 25 to 30%. But the mix of the sales was around 10 or 12%. Then the pandemic hit, and we were closed, and it went to virtually 100%. So suddenly now that, you know, that we didn't care about it before, it was more of a marketing expense, became a real expense. And at 30%, you know, 25 to 30%, there's no way the industry could make any money. And that's the only sales that we had. So, we went to the government, and it took us about six months, and we looked at different models. Actually, BC was ahead of this. I was really proud of that because there are other places in the states trying to do the same thing. Um, we brought in a temporary cap, which capped it at 20%. So that was it. That was the only fees they could charge, and that had to, that was all-inclusive. And now we get to January 1st this year, and now that, that permanent uh, or 20% is permanent. But, it, but it's a little different now because what it says is that I have to offer you semi at least an option at 20%. I can still sell you some other services and maybe make it 24, 25%. And those are added value marketing services that I would elect to, um, uh, to choose uh, from the platform. So in, in a, so it's guaranteed 20%. So if I'm a restaurant, all I want to do is pay 20%, have a basic delivery order and delivery. It's there forever permanently, but it still allows the market to sort of be, um, creative, if you will, on other different services. So I think we came up with a very good solution. We were the first in Canada to come up with it uh, yet again through the pandemic. Do you think it was changing people's uh, habits, though? Like when they can now see when it's transparent to them how much of this is going to delivery fees, that kind of changes people's minds. Yeah, but yeah, it was just, it's funny. I was just watching something on CNN, and it was an, an, um, an ad for Uber Eats, and it says, join the club, become a member, and it's zero delivery fees. And we're seeing that in Canada now, too, is that you pay 60 It's like a Costco model where you pay $60 right. or $70, and that's it. You don't pay delivery fees. And in some cases, you'll get a discount on the food. So um, where it's changed for the, you know, what's changed really is the consumer knows that they can get pretty good food delivered to their home almost at, in any kind of food fair they would like. 
instantly and then go to and, and have wine and, and beer and liquor delivered with it and have a whole experience at home if they don't feel like going out. I thought a lot of, during the holidays, a lot of people wanted to spend money, but they didn't necessarily want to go out. They wanted to sort of hang out. So there it was. And so delivery companies are doing very well with that. It occupies now, uh, Cindy, so from the 12% in 19 or 2001 before the pandemic, it's about 35% of our sales now. So it's a significant part. So the restaurant of the future is going to be built for uh, takeout and delivery, uh, in-store dining experience, and, um, and and that's going to be and then patios, of course. So there's sort of three sides of it, which have really changed. And no longer is the business sort of vulnerable to your clothes. You can't do anything. So we've been quite adaptable that way. Okay. And has that been helpful then to restaurants to have this cap? Because now restaurants can say, no, no, we get this money. Totally. And the reason why is that it's the, the uncertainty is gone. They know that when they do their, you know, their modeling on their cost structure, they know that this 20% is going to cost me in food delivery. And there's, and there's ways they deal. I mean, sometimes restaurants will, will, will charge a bit more for the food they deliver because of the added cost of packaging and stuff. And so, you know, they're, they're doing it. We're doing all right. I mean, it's, it's a lot better now knowing it's 20%, not 30%, and we're making a few bucks on it. And there's a very rigorous uh, market for it, like I said, about 35%. That's not going away anytime soon either. And have restaurants also decided that, you know what, if delivery is this possible, like is it, is it more of an option now for restaurants to take this on themselves? No, you know, the model of, um, I studied this because, you know, there, you know, it really was when we all grew up, it was pizza and Chinese food, right? That was the only one that delivered. So but true. The, um, the, the model now is so complicated and it's got, has so much liability and the technology involved in it. We've had a couple of small companies out of Victoria, one in particular, that tried to do this and were convinced they had the technology and they failed. It's very sophisticated in terms of, you know, the algorithms to run the the, uh, the order system, the delivery system. You can imagine all the drivers and having the time. Our expectations now are so high. You know, if you order food and it's not there within about 35 or 40 minutes, you're on, you know, you're trying to get refunds and stuff. So to try to do it yourself is really tough. Um, okay. but, you know, we encourage people to go to restaurants, pick it up themselves if they can. That's the best sale for us. But nevertheless, if, uh, if that option to, to deliver is still there. I find that that's what I do now, though, right? Because you think you're going to order it, and then you put it all in the cart, and you look at it, and you go, wait a minute, it went up by that much? Well, I'm just going to go get in the car and go get it myself. That's true. Absolutely very true. And, um, and, and you know, especially when we live in downtown, close to restaurants and stuff, it's easier to do than the suburbs. So, um, no, but it's working. I mean, we're really pleased where it is. I mean, our biggest challenge going into 2023 is keeping uh, the government side of Bay and just uh, keep working with us and being innovative with us and not starting to impose when we talk about, you know, fees on cups and bags and all the stuff that's going on here. We were really labor challenged right now and we need just to put our heads down and just let us fly our plane quietly and just get out of this mess. It's going to take a couple of years to, yeah. to recover, I think, to, uh, from the pandemic. Are those labor challenges, are they persisting? They're still holding on there for 2023? Yeah, they are. Um, you know, we I use the number 30,000 people in our industry, front of the house, so your servers and, and hosts, and back of the house, your cooks. And, and um, you know, so the, the government, and I, you know, the provincial government, BC, has been really good to our industry. I, I appreciate it, but they haven't declared labor, and neither has the federal government labor crisis in Canada. And there's backlogs. I mean, we're, we're a country of immigration. We need to smooth that out. A lot of our uh, restaurants use uh, skilled foreign workers uh, that come to work in kitchens and they eventually become Canadians. And so they serve a wonderful, wonderful addition to what we need, but the government's been backlogged. So 
And then we, of course, um, we need to get the message out to people that restaurants are a great place to work and a great place to get experience and come on back for those people that left us because we were closed, I think, 114 days or something over the two years. But um, we were going to be marketing very strong that we're a good place. Wages are stronger than they've ever been. A lot of restaurants and businesses now are offering, um, you know, um, education, benefits, and trying to make our industry a career versus a part-time place to make money. So we're going to get a hybrid model, which I'm kind of excited about that as well, too. And is that developing for 2023, do you think? We're going to see more of that? It is. And you need, Simi's Restaurant needs to be the employer of choice. And if you're not providing an environment for a very discerning uh, job seeker right now, we ask you questions like, and we have, we have actually restaurant managers that are that want to work four days a week for work-life balance. And so we, or we're talking about work-life balance. Our wages are, like I said, you know, 17, 18, over $20 an hour in in case of, you know, plus tips. And we're looking at career paths and we're looking at helping with education. So all those things that other industries were doing, we're starting to do now, and it's starting to happen. Because if you don't do that, Sydney's Restaurant's going to have a really tough time attracting anybody to work for you. <laughs> I just keep laughing every time you say Simi's Restaurant. Ian, thank you so much. For, That's never going to happen. No, no, it doesn't. Figure out what kind of food. Simi likes to eat at restaurants, not, not run restaurants. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Simi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. That's Ian Tossinson, president of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. This is Mornings with Simi. Really interesting opinion piece in the Victoria Times columnist this week suggested that people should only live where they can afford to. Now, when you say it like that, I think most people would go, oh, okay, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense. But then dig a little bit deeper and you'll find that communities don't always work like that. You need to have people of all different types of economic backgrounds in the same community. You need people who can work, who can do different jobs. You want them to be able to, you know, live close to where they work. That's how employers can find employees. There's a lot of pushback actually against this uh, particular opinion piece in the Times Colonist. Well, joining us now is Christine Boyle, Vancouver City Councillor, to talk more about it. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. What did you think when you read this? Oh, I thought it was um, ridiculous. You know, like you said so well, it sounds reasonable. Um, but we need housing that working people can afford in, in every part of our city and in every part of the region. You know, uh, teachers, nurses, grocery store clerks, janitors, child care providers, people who work here uh, whose labor other Vancouverites rely on shouldn't be forced into longer and longer commutes. And as we've seen in recent weeks with the snow and, and other extreme weather events uh, in recent years, we're actually all better off when people are able to live closer to where they work and closer to the shops and the services that they depend on so that when it snows, child care centers or health clinics are more likely to be able to open uh, because their staff live nearby. Do you think that though we run up against that idea and lots of people will say this, they'll go, well, when I had my first house or my first place, I had to move out of this neighborhood because I couldn't afford it. Sure. And I, I'm not saying everybody gets a large single family home by the beach. Of course, there's not room for that. But um, and it also doesn't mean everybody should live in Vancouver. 
the whole region should be adding more mixed income housing options, more secure rental and more co-ops and more townhomes. There's lots of beautiful places across the region to live and lots of reasons people would want to live in different parts of the region. Um, And a strong transit system would help us get more people around, of course. Um, But it does matter that we have mixed income, uh, affordable housing across Vancouver as well, so that people who who work here have the choice to live here. Um, You know, maybe you live in a smaller place if you're choosing to live in Vancouver than you would live in Langley if you're choosing to live there. All of those are trade-offs, but they're trade-offs that should be um, options on the table for people because, again, we all benefit when our communities are are a mix of people and backgrounds um, and when people who work here can live here. Do you think businesses are starting to get that message as well? I find that with the labor market the way it is, businesses are trying all sorts of things to make sure they can find employees and housing has suddenly become a part of that equation. Oh, absolutely. And I have um, had lots of great conversations with business leaders uh, and business owners about the need for more housing. I brought a motion to Vancouver City Council a, a few weeks ago now Uh, trying to make it faster and easier to build non-market housing, co-op housing and supportive housing. And I was really grateful for a number of business leaders showing up to voice their support, including the downtown Vancouver BIA. Um, Because just like you said, businesses have been struggling to hire local employees. You know, um, one of the things I think about often is the the, um, small businesses up on West 10th in West Point Grey in Vancouver uh, that have been closing in heartbreaking numbers because of a number of reasons, uh, especially that there's less and less foot traffic uh, up there because fewer people are living, fewer people can afford to live in the neighbourhood. And it's hard to hire people because people can't afford to live there and and it's a long way to travel for work. So um, it, it really does make all of our communities more vibrant. Uh, It's good for business, both in terms of customers and in terms of staff um, Mm -hmm. to be building housing. And I just want to add it really, um, in in my strong opinion, it shouldn't be just towers on arterials where renters are able to live, but we should be building housing throughout neighborhoods, you know, four-story apartments, six-story condos mixed throughout neighborhoods. So we're not using renters as a as a buffer from noise just on busy streets, but people are able to live in every part of the city. Well, I have a feeling we're going to be talking more about this for sure. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. This is Mornings with Simi. We think it's going to be a busy weekend for bars and pubs out there, but let's find out. Jeff Guinard joins us now, president of ABLEBC, that is BC's Alliance of Beverage Licensees. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too. So what, what are you hearing? What's it going to be like this weekend? You know, for the first time in about three years, we're going to have tons of enthusiasm out there and folks are preparing for some really exciting evenings. And I think it's it's not just, you know, restaurants that are going to have special menus. And this has been a great year for restaurants. But we're seeing a lot of, like, pubs and bars and nightclubs and cocktail lounges out there that are 
preparing special menus or bringing in, you know, bands. People are going to be able to dance on New Year's Eve for the first time in several years. So it's, it's tons of excitement and people are really get, can't wait to get started. Yeah. Are the, are the restaurants, are the pubs and bars feeling that buzz from people? Like, are people buying advance tickets for this kind of stuff? Yeah, we're seeing ticket sales do really well. So what's interesting about it is, you know, you can kind of think of customers as sort of in three groups, right? There are some folks who have not gone out during the entire pandemic and maybe they're not super comfortable going out right now and they're absolutely welcome to join us if they want to wear a mask or something. There's a whole bunch of other folks who, you know, were a bit cautious and following all those rules and protocols who this will be the first time having a real party uh, since, you know, 2019. And then there's some folks who've been going out throughout that whole period. But from all three groups, we're seeing some really strong ticket sales, uh, even at, um, you know, just kind of neighborhood pubs that are bringing in a band and doing a special dinner. And I was talking to one over the last night. He was like, I think we're going to do a steak and lobster dinner for the first time in three years. Uh, and he's already sold out the tickets for it. So it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, is this normally a very busy time of year? Like, what does this, what does New Year's Eve do for the bottom line of, of pubs and bars? Yeah, so the two factors there to think of. So the first one is most pubs and bars throughout British Columbia have been losing money or barely breaking even for the past three years, right? So it's it, it's really a fun opportunity for them to actually make some revenue. And New Year's Eve is typically one of our best nights of the season, right? I mean, as as with any industry, we have cycles, and you know the summer is really good, and then the fall gets a bit slow, and then over the holidays we bring in some additional revenue. Uh, but New Year's Eve is definitely one of our biggest nights, and it's going to hopefully turn things around for a lot of folks. I mean, so many bars and pubs took on you know a lot of debt just to make it through the pandemic, uh, so they're they're excited to get it going and make a bit of revenue and try and pay off some bills for the first time in a few years. Yeah, how would you summarize 2022 then? Oof. So 2022, as everyone remember, started off with a lot of those protocols in place, and everyone kind of felt like they had some handcuffs on. But as those protocols lifted and people could kind of get back to work, we found that customers were coming back. And then in places like Vancouver, where I live, we got some international recognition for our restaurant scene and our cocktail culture. We have world-class cocktail bars and pubs and establishments that the customers are really liking. So the good part for us is that all year long, we've been seeing that gradual uptick. There's been some challenges along the way. I mean, you remember that the summer got off to a slow start with all the rain, for example. Um, but it, the holiday season has been good. The numbers have been strong. Our largest challenge right now, honestly, is getting enough staff for our kitchens and for our managers and for our service to sure we can service customers to the best of our abilities. That's interesting because we were talking with Ian Tossenson about that earlier. That is just an ongoing theme these yeah. days, isn't it? Yeah, I think if we have a theme for 2022, it's probably is labor shortage. And I'm sure Ian gave you the numbers, but we employ uh, across the whole hospitality industry, almost 200,000 British Columbians. We're the fourth largest private sector employer in the province. We are about 20,000 workers short. So you think, okay, 10% doesn't sound like too much, but that's 10% every single day. You're always running a little bit short staff. And if anybody gets sick or, you know, over the holidays, we want to tribute to our staff as well. We need to take some time off all of a sudden you're down 20 or 25% in your labor force. And that makes it really challenging for those who are showing up for work. Where did they all go? Because I'm hearing that in other industries too, right? That there's people missing who never came back. What happened? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of factors going into that. We could take 10 minutes to talk about it. But essentially during the pandemic, a lot of folks in other industries retired. um, And then as folks move up in their positions, where do their new workers come from? They come from the hospitality industry, the tourism industry, the accommodation industry. So we just had people move on to different careers and there haven't been enough new entrants coming into the market because most of our new workers in the hospitality industry come from high school and university and immigration, right? And people coming into the market for the first time. And um, the ones who have made a career to hospitality, most of them are still there. Some of them took some retirement during the pandemic as well because you know, we weren't very busy. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just every little spot where we normally get labor supply has been challenged. So that's, that's uh, 
our biggest challenge going into next year as well is helping industry recover just from a labor perspective. And it's not unique to us. It's, it's got to do with the entire tourism in um, hospitality and accommodation industry in BC. Is that just like not the way it's going to be now? So does the industry not just have to adapt and say, listen, I don't think those workers are coming back? Well, that's our goal, right? So we're very resilient, very practical people. We're looking at the market right now and deciding, well, how, how can we handle this, right? And in some cases, that's going to be more like automation. You'll see people ordering on screens more or, you know, talking to the you know, one of our members, Enable, he's, he just keeps a large portion of his, his pub closed for, for a dining service because he just can't have enough staff in the kitchen to deal with it. So you, you can kind of have beers on one side of the place and you, know, you end up having a full meal on the other side. But hospitality industry is resilient. Pubs and bars, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, we're also working a lot with our provincial and federal government partners on different labor solutions. And I imagine you'll hear a lot more from us about those in 2023. Okay, so you are, it sounds like this is going to be a, a positive year. You're looking ahead to maybe a glass half full 2023? <laughs> well, it's my job to be optimistic. Uh, and I absolutely am. Though. I mean, everything I've heard from industry, uh, we, we're in about as good of a place as we can be. Uh, still some serious challenges, still lots of headwinds, but people have come out of the pandemic and those that are still standing are a little battered, a little bruised, uh, but we're, we see lots of reason for hope and optimism. And I think next year is going to be the year we finally put uh, the financial damage of the pandemic behind us. Uh, I certainly know there are some folks out there that are, you know, they took on so much debt during the pandemic and didn't make any revenue. They've just been scraping through, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of neighborhood pubs got some great support from their patrons. This has really helped. And now we're, we're looking at now that we don't have any other protocols in place, assuming we can stay on top of things like COVID, then we'll get a nice sustainable business of revenue going in, starting off with hopefully a, a record-setting 2020, um, a New Year's Eve. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Jeff, thank you so much for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy New Year. This is Mornings with Simi. 